0: Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I have some questions for you today. I want to know have you dialed in your digital marketing? And how do you go from zero to a hundred thousand subscribers? Or better yet, how do you go from zero to one thousand? Maybe that's even harder. And how do you even stay profitable while you're scaling? We're going to talk about all of those questions and more. This is Sastry in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I am delighted to be joined by my special guest today, Paris Childress.
1: Paris, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Matt.
0: Absolutely. Let me tell everybody about you, Paris, because you've got a great background. You're doing some awesome things. Paris is the CEO and founder of Hop Online. They offer growth and performance-oriented digital marketing solutions to high-growth SaaS companies around the world. That's awesome because I know we have a lot of SaaS company leaders and founders listening to the show, so they're going to learn a lot today. Paris also is the managing partner of Tribal Worldwide Sophia, so he definitely understands how to make things grow, how to get the businesses energized. I'm super excited to talk to him. So once again, Paris, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
1: So tell me, What's going on with you and and Hop Online lately and what's coming up? Well, things are exciting these days at Hop Online. We're based in Sofia, Bulgaria, although most of our clients are outside international, US and Europe and some in India and Asia. We've been growing at a pretty good clip, so our team is growing. We're now at 40 people here. Wow. And so it's it's fun. It's an exciting phase for us right now.
0: That's awesome. I love that growth phase. So much fun. I've had a lot of fun in my startups doing the same. But let me go back. What gave you the idea to start Hop Online? How'd that come about?
1: Well, I, I founded the company in 2009. And it was a, one of these stories that accidental agency, let's say, because uh, I didn't necessarily intend to start an agency when we got things started. But when the first consulting client asked me for an invoice and I said, wait, uh, does that mean that I need to give you that, that I have to have a company for that? And he said, yeah. So then I rushed out. We got a name. My wife actually thought of the name. Hop online, and she still reminds me of that to this day. Of course, we got it, just got it registered so we could get that first invoice out. And then the next thing you know, um, we were hiring the first employee, the second employee, and things kept building. So that was really how things got started. And it wasn't until about maybe two years ago, Matt, that we decided that the work we enjoy most is SaaS marketing. We just love the SaaS space. And we decided that we're really going to now focus on this on this vertical. Try to get even better at it, and try to really exclusively work with SaaS companies that are looking for high growth.
0: I love it. And SaaS, what a great market! I'm so glad that you're focused on SaaS. Obviously, that's my focus as well. That's where I've been for 15 years. But I love that it just like happened so quickly for you that you actually had a client before you even a company name and a domain. Like that's amazing. I've run into that with some of my companies as well. It's like, oh, somebody wants to sign. Up. We need to find a way to get them to sign up. Like, how are we going to make an invoice and how are we going to get them signed up and get mm-hmm. some sort of subscription plan? And some of the early stuff definitely isn't the best. Like, I even created an invoice on Excel just to uh, make sure that I could get We're something to there. them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think the moral of the story is just get started. It doesn't have to be perfect right away. I know I've talked with a lot of people like, well, I'm thinking about starting, but I'm not quite sure exactly what to do. I mean, you came up with a name on the spot. You just get started and you figure out what needs to be done and you make it happen. And so I think that's awesome that you did that, Paris.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. Don't hesitate. Don't wait until the moment is perfect because it never will be. Just, you've got to just charge ahead.
0: Totally agree. So when do SaaS companies need to start thinking about ramping up their digital marketing?
1: I believe that the time to get really serious with digital marketing is when a SaaS company believes that they've got product market fit pretty well established. I think to spend a a whole lot on digital marketing or any type of marketing, for that matter, if there's still exploration around product market fit, is going to lead to a lot of money wasted. But once a SaaS company has established product market fit, and usually that coincides with funding rounds as well. Then usually it's time to really get into a scale mode. And digital marketing is just an absolute growth engine for that, if it's used properly. Yeah,
0: I totally agree. Let's actually make sure that we break it down and level set. Can you talk about what digital marketing is? There might be some people out there who don't fully understand how that differentiates from others. Can you just explain a little bit about what it is?
1: Yeah. Well, digital marketing is really the the evolutionary term that was previously called web marketing or online marketing, but this is marketing in a digital environment. And now digital marketing, especially in the context of SaaS, it is associated with performance marketing. And that means that this is marketing that is designed to give you back a pretty clear and demonstrable ROI or a return on ad spend. The big platforms we're talking about, no surprise, are Google ads, Facebook ads. And the third player emerging is LinkedIn ads, primarily for B2B marketers.
0: Yeah. So where do you think most people are putting their focus between those platforms, most companies?
1: When it comes to SaaS, I think that paid search is still king because of its ROI. This is usually people who are at the bottom of the funnel or they're at the end of a purchase journey or a conversion journey. Paid search does still, in our experience, yield the highest return on ad spend, but it is limited. We typically advise most of our SaaS clients To fully exploit all of the opportunities and squeeze every drop out of paid search first. And then typically they start to move up the funnel towards middle or upper funnel. And that's when you start to see YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, sometimes Instagram, sometimes Twitter, TikTok now is an emerging channel. So these are more of the middle funnel or upper funnel types of channels that, that companies use. But we see that still the majority of the investment is going into Google ads, paid search.
0: Wow. And I think it's so important. I, building my first SaaS company, that was a philosophy for us is everybody was on Google. We needed to get there. We needed to make sure that we were top of the list. And so we really worked on getting our, our name up there and paid as well as SEO. Paid had to happen first, obviously. SEO takes a little while. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing to help those companies? What exactly does Hop Online do to make sure that they can maximize that ad spend and or, or minimize yeah. the ad spend and maximize the return?
1: We fully take over and manage all of those channels, starting with Google ads and Facebook ads and LinkedIn ads. If we inherit something that's existing, we start normally with some sort of a audit and then a restructuring process. If we're starting from scratch, then we build out those campaigns from ground zero. And in all those cases, our teams are highly, highly specialized and and we're very hands-on communicating daily with with the clients. And so it really is a, it could be a fully done for you service. We can also do it together, complementing an in-house marketing team and filling in some gaps. Or um, in certain rare cases, we can act as a consultant where the client is, is mostly doing everything themselves. Our best way of working, though, is in partnership with our clients where we are typically working with a small marketing team that's covering a whole lot of bases, and we are trying to help them really just dominate in digital marketing.
0: That makes sense. I want to talk about one of the companies that you really helped and this is, you know, something that you guys famously helped output.com go from 0 to 100,000 subscribers in 18 months. That's incredible. I love that story. But I want to kind of take the first part of that. How did you go about getting the first 1,000 subscribers? What were the steps that you took to get that thing kind of going and launched and starting to get some of those early leads in the door?
1: Sure. Well, the first 1,000 of those customers were mostly achieved through what I would call the trial phase. These were the really early weeks. I have to say first and foremost that this is a phenomenal product. And we were greatly assisted by the, the fact that this was a naturally viral product. We needed to get this product into the hands of ideally professional or hobbyist music makers. We started with paid search. And the challenging thing there was that this is a so-called trailblazer category. This, they were establishing a new category. So we didn't have a whole lot of search demand or search volume around exactly what they were offering. So we needed to go and look for what we call adjacent intent. We needed to look for the nearby categories that would indicate that we do have somebody who is a professional music maker performing this search. They might be looking for another related piece of software that could be complementary or it might even be a substitute. And based on that, we got really the first 1,000 of those customers through paid search. But what we quickly realized after that is that we needed to get other other channels involved if we wanted to start scaling, because we were running up against a ceiling when it came to the potential high-quality searches that we could tap into.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. So what did you do? How did you get through that ceiling?
1: We turned to really two primary channels. We turned to Facebook and YouTube this is music software. So it naturally lends itself to sight, sound, and motion, but especially sound Mm -hmm. because they had some amazing videos that showcased the unique sounds that the software can produce for music makers. So YouTube was a great fit for that reason, just because so many users are already using YouTube really as as a jukebox or just a mute for music. And a lot of those ads were just a natural fit. With Facebook, I would say the same is true because we were able to tap into a more passive audience. And as people that were not necessarily searching for any type of music software, but they were pro music makers. And as we started to refine those audiences, we really just got in front of a lot of people that were really willing to just leave Facebook and take a look at this product. And the combination when you put together Facebook and YouTube, which are mostly priming the top of the funnel, that resulted in an increase of searches because we were creating the brand awareness for this new product and this new type of category that was driving people to search for the brand and for the related keywords that they would be exposed to in those awareness ads in YouTube and in Facebook. So by doing upper funnel marketing, we were actually able to grow the bottom of the funnel as well because searches increased as a result. So I would advise your listeners here not to think about these marketing channels in silos and measure the results just from paid search just from Facebook and just from, say, YouTube ads. But consider that a lot of times people will take a journey and there will be multiple touch points across advertising and even organic types of touch points that are not paid. All that is going to eventually cultivate this demand and it might result at the end with a conversion from a paid ad, a paid search ad, but you can't give all that credit to the last click. It has been a constant process of always tweaking and trying to arrive at really the the best attribution model across all these channels.
0: I think that's super important what you just said. I mean, they say it's, you know, ever since anybody ever heard of marketing and advertising that somebody needs to have an impression nine times or something I think and and they have to have seen you or heard of you nine times on average. So obviously somebody's going to click on the first time, but other people are going to wait 15 to 20 times before they actually engage. So it's amazing that If you have the right strategy and if you actually see it as a whole strategy and look at it holistically instead of, oh, let's do this and hopefully then we can do that. But if you actually think of it as a whole, what you're saying you've you've been able to Mm -hmm. accomplish for your clients, that feels really amazing. That way you can get the messaging right. That way you can kind of see it as a story. I'm sure that you're doing that with your clients, but we've seen that with us where somebody comes through us and our paid Facebook ads and when we first talked to them on our first sales call, we say, well, that's so great that you saw the ad book. They're like, oh, I've been following you for months. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. well. So that was the final straw, not just one thing that was the whole piece. So yeah. I completely agree with what you're saying, Paris.
1: Yeah, it really is important, especially in the B2B space. You have to assume that people are going to spend quite a bit of time researching. And there's this concept. We're actually right now doing a five-part webinar series on a concept called the messy middle which is a new way to think about the, the path to purchase online. It really is no longer a linear journey down the traditional marketing funnel, but it's, it's an infinite loop of evaluation and exploration because consumers have so much access to information now. They're, they're very empowered by that. And they're, they can almost even get stuck in this loop of evaluating different options, exploring new options, expanding the decision set, and then shrinking the decision set. And now we, as especially as SaaS marketers, we've got to be available for that. So we've got to be present in all these channels when they're doing all that exploration. And then we also need to use some of these really psychological category, not category, but these types of heuristics that will pull people out of that loop and get them to take action. So these are cognitive biases, basically. Things like social proof, authority bias, the power of free, the power of showing up. And so this is really a framework that we now try to that we really try to educate all of our entire audience and our, especially our clients with.
0: I think that's awesome. I think it's really great that you've structured it that way so it makes it easy and you're educating your clients as opposed to just doing it for them. So you're helping them become stronger overall. That's phenomenal.
1: Educating our clients is a major priority for us. The more the clients understand what we do, the more they appreciate the value and the more they can play an active role in their own success.
0: Very true. Very, very true. That's phenomenal. When you start scaling, unit, unit economics can start to get a little crazy. How are you able to stay profitable and keep things moving on the up and up?
1: That's a great question. In the example of output, we have the major KPI here is cost per acquisition. And this is pretty typical for a SaaS business. Mm-hmm. And the CAC, this so-called CAC, customer acquisition cost, is is the end-all be-all. And there's a ratio, and I think a lot of investors are really tuning into this ratio, and that is LTV to CAC. So that implies that, first of all, that you are starting to build an understanding of lifetime value. And then what is the lifetime value divided by the customer acquisition cost? And in many cases, I think now a lot of the the VCs are looking for a ratio of somewhere between 2.5 to 1, as high as 3 to 1. And it really it really depends a little bit on the space, but unit economics are essential. If you just blow through the unit economics, then you're really not proving that you can have a sustainably profitable business at all you're just proving that you can go out and spend a lot of money and acquire a lot of users but any investor and if and anybody who wants to really scale is at some point going to be looking at investment one of the most powerful cases you can make to an investor to write that check is to demonstrate a clear and consistent track record of maintaining a healthy LTV to CAC ratio it's one of the things that we we preach a lot with our clients is let us help you and work with you to understand your LTV better. Let's update that on regular intervals. And then our objective is to maintain CAC in line with that LTV so that later in the future, you can tell that story to that next investor that's going to help you extend your runway.
0: Yeah, I love it. And the LTV to CAC is huge. I actually coach that to my clients to make sure that they're in line with that. It's a really, really critical ratio because you're right, the VCs, I talk to them. They are absolutely looking at that number. And I would agree. For me, three is what I've always heard from everybody. Yeah, two and a half, you might be able to make it work. But really, three to one, your LTV to CAC is where it starts. And that's when you can start seeing, okay, if we put $1 in, we're going to get $3 out. So three to one, four to one, five to one. Those are great numbers. Careful going too big on it because actually what you see is if you get to six, 10, 20, I actually had a client came to me and said, our LTV to CAC is 29 to one. I'm like, that sounds great. Great Hold on. (laughs) Exactly. That means you need to feed the machine. Now you have an opportunity to put more money in so you can grow quicker. And once he did that, he was able to scale pretty big. So three to five, somewhere in there is where we want to see it so that you can really start generating. And that's what we talk about when we talk about having a machine. If your marketing is working well, and the sales is working well in conjunction, that's the machine that you can really convince an investor saying, look at this, we're at four to one or whatever. We've got a machine on marketing, it's a great process, we've got a great sales process, things are coming in, we're converting, we're closing, do it all over again. That's when things work. Absolutely, Matt. Awesome. So, what advice do you have, Paris, for software founders who are getting started and going off on their journey starting out?
1: Well, overall, if they're still at a relatively early stage, I would say I'm really focus on on product market fit and use digital marketing strategically, but in a limited way to establish product market fit. So I think that's the focus of digital marketing in an early stage startup type of a SaaS company. Once you feel like you've really nailed it, then it's time to start thinking about perhaps raising money and going big with with digital marketing. And then it becomes a, a game of scale. So it's very important, I think, for SaaS founders to recognize where they are in that journey and understand we're going to first maybe use digital marketing So try to get critical feedback and really establish product market fit and be very confident that we've got the right product for the right audiences and personas. And then after that, let's see how much we can then scale it once we've got product market fit.
0: That's beautiful. I think that's great advice and I couldn't agree more. This has been awesome, Paris. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Once again, we've been talking with Paris Childress from Hop Online, and he does some great stuff. Their company does some great stuff for SaaS companies. So Paris, where can people learn more about you and Hop Online?
1: They can visit us at hop.online. That's our URL. Very cool. You can also feel free to look for me on LinkedIn and and connect and just mention that maybe you heard, heard this episode and I'd be happy to, to connect with you on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes for those of you listening on the podcast and down below for those of you on the web watching this. But thank you very much for everybody coming out. Paris, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you too, Matt. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. And for all of you out there, please be sure to like and subscribe. It would really help us grow the show so we can bring you more awesome guests like Paris sharing exactly how to do what you need to do to grow your SaaS business. So give us a subscribe, give us a rating, give us a like, whatever you can do to help out. We will continue to bring you awesome, awesome content with awesome creators and innovators. Thank you for coming this time. We will see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to Sastry in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.